Live from the court of Emperor Joseph II, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Well, hello, folks. Welcome to Derailed Trains of Thoughts, episode 88. This is Timothy Deal. This is Nick Hayden. And we are dressed all in pomp and circumstance. Oh, yeah. And there's some really good music coming. Oh, uh, there's some really good music. I mean, I I am a little surprised. I always thought these royal courts were a lot more, had a lot more decorum than they seem to have <laughs> around here. Like, they, they seem to be a lot of drunk people. And, well, um, it goes with the times, I guess. Yeah, I, I guess. It's it's a little throwing me off my element. But yes, the music is beautiful. Yes. So everyone seems to be enjoying themselves except for that one. One guy glowering, like glower. What's the word? Glowering, glowering, scowling. We'll scowling. Say. Okay, <laughs> one of those words that you normally see in books, but scowling. We'll say he seems to be the only one not enjoying himself for some reason. I, I can't imagine yeah, why. I don't know. I can't imagine there's any sort of politics or pressure or envy or anything going on around here. <laughs> well, it is. It is a royal court. Yeah. So yeah, it's free of all that. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, welcome to another episode. Yes, hello. I'm glad the podcast brought us here safely. It's like, actually, it's a relatively safe place. Yeah, I think so. I will say I do miss the indoor plumbing. Anytime we go back in time, it's always unfortunate. You know, odd enough, we don't actually go back in time as much as you think we would. That's true. Uh, the podcast has a penchant for more fantasy science fiction. Yeah, I don't know why that would be. Yeah, who knows? But uh, I guess we should just, uh, rather than tarry too long here, let's uh, move on into story school. It's been a while since we had a nice meaty story school discussion on kind of the philosophy of... And the personal angst. Of being a creative <laughs> artist. So here you are, everyone. <laughs> so here, so we're going to try to delve into that here a little bit. Had branching ideas for uh, how we would tackle this one, but uh, Nick, you really latched on to the idea of when artists try to compare themselves to other artists. Yeah, I don't think there's probably anyone who does any sort of art that doesn't at some point say, but... What about them? You know, or where do I, am I actually good compared to such and such? Such and such. And I think the doubt and the fear and the trembling is probably pretty much a part of any sort of artistic endeavor, unless you're either very arrogant and or just... Um, or naive. Naive, yeah. Um, I mean, we probably start off our artistic or creative endeavors hugely inspired by another person. Yeah. And then at that point, you're not, you know, say I'm inspired by Robert Jordan or Dostoevsky. You're not really comparing yourself, but you're like, they're up here and you're just starting to write. And you're like, yeah. And they're, they're more your models. But at some point, you start thinking, especially people about your level, you're like, you know, whether it's other fellow writers in school or whether it's, you know, other people who are in a self-publish, if you're doing that, or, you know, a small press, you start thinking like, am I better than they are? Or why is everyone reading that when... When that's junk, or um, <laughs> yeah, I'm there with you. I, I I remember feeling this most keenly when I went to uh, that semester program in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. um, because before then, I was gung ho on kind of the movie thing, video thing. I was in a mass communications program at Taylor, but at that time, it was sort of in a low period, a sense of transition. There wasn't a whole lot of other 
people there. So I felt fairly unique. It's like, yeah, yeah I'm doing something really cool and new. And I go out to Los Angeles and I'm in a program with 30, 40 other students who are doing the same thing. We're all making these movies. And suddenly I realized, oh, I really don't know my business <laughs> nearly as well as some of these other yeah. guys do. And it was, it was a, it was a quite the, the, not culture shock, but it was an quite the adjustment. I think there's at least two different comparisons we tend to do. One is on just kind of the the nuts and bolts, like, do I do things like other people do things? Hmm. You know, am I doing it right? And I think also is, is my stuff good? You know, validate me. Yeah. You know, I wrote it, because even with writing, pretty normal for as you're writing, you think, this is horrendous. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, this is horrendous. Oh, this is a work of art. And then you got to have, you know, even just someone comment on it like edit it yeah and early on you're always like oh, no how do you say you don't like that i i planned all that stuff and don't you see the symbolism and i had this thought into it and yeah no that's... And, and they're like this is boring there's no ending and you're like what do you mean it's perfect and it, it's tricky too at that stage you know people over talk about millennials feeling entitled to certain things mm-hmm. and there's probably a certain amount of that that's true um i think you and i probably fall in between generation yeah. x and millennials but, you know, when you're starting off with in school, you know, if you're a good, studious sort of kid, you know, try, you try to get A's and all this kind of stuff, you, you learn to kind of do what's asked of you. Follow the, the procedures, mm-hmm. and you, get, you get the sticker, you get the A+. Plus. You did what you were supposed to do. You help your end of the bargain. But writing in, or in really any creative endeavor is so much more subjective. I mean, obviously, yes, you're going to get a better grade if you listen to the teacher and do the right things. But then there will come at some point where it's not just a matter of of following the nuts and bolts, but are you actually creating a good product? Yeah. Sometimes just having the good idea is not enough if you're not executing or doing the right things. And it's tricky sometimes because at different levels or whatever, when you're writing certain things, it might be a good product but the person reading it just doesn't you know there you know there's a certain amount of subjectivity too random thing um my sister she's taking this college course right now wrote this essay i, I read through it it's a non-fiction research paper and it seemed you know i don't know what they were expecting but it looked good to me and it came back and like her advisor said oh it looks good and it came back and it was supposed to be a pass fail said good da, 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 you didn't support it enough like, didn't give her any suggestions or anything. And she'd, like, change, like, two things. And then it, it's, like, hmm. it's like almost like they, they just read it wrong the first time or were looking for something. Because it seemed like a strong paper to me. Sometimes you just have that miscommunication, like, yeah, at some levels. But I don't know why I got on that subject. But then the other problem with art, too, is that it's personal in the sense that when you write a story and someone critiques it, it's not just like they critiqued your math ability, you know, like, oh, no, you did this problem wrong. Oh, okay, I'll fix it. It's like they critiqued who you are. <laughs> <laughs> or that's what it feels like. That's what like. it feels like, especially early on. Mm-hmm. I think this is certainly something that can kind of freeze you at a, at a period if, like, if you can't take it the right way or just can't deal with it. Or you can become kind of bitter and it's like, well, no, none of my teachers are right. They don't know what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I remember and, thinking, you know, like, they just don't understand. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and sometimes I still think parts of it they didn't, but that's just <laughs> arrogance more than anything, probably. I mean, but I mean, it is true that teachers will probably have different kinds of styles as you. Mm-hmm. Um, especially certain types of teachers. You've been teaching one way so long, this is how things should look. Mm-hmm. Now, 
creative writing's different. They're, those teachers didn't have a little more. Right. And you really do have to sort of learn the difference between, okay, which which is a poor teaching style and which is something I ne- need to actually learn from. Yeah. And I still get a little miffed. There's a, I had a couple of classes in my theater minor at Taylor that I never really got very solid feedback for why the teacher was grading me the way oh, she did. Yeah. And I always remember, it was like, I could have become better at this thing if you had at least told me. But because of her health conditions or whatever at the time, I just, she tended to grade me a little lower. I never really understood mm-hmm. why. And that's, it, just, that's just poor teaching. And it's not just teaching, though. It's even like when you get beta readers or people who give you feedback. Mm. Obviously, you don't want people to just say, yes, it's great. I mean, you probably want that, but that's not <laughs> what you want yeah. for the good of your story. But simultaneously... Some people are very picky about very specific things. You got to figure out, is this concern valid or is this concern, you can't just dismiss it because you don't like it. But yeah. you got and we're off a little bit from comparison, I see, into the editing. But it all kind of ties together because so often, I think, for an artist, our gut reactions we have are worth tied up in how people like our product. Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't like my story, I'm somehow a less person. Right. What you hate in my book, I got a one-star rating, therefore I am somehow a a flawed individual. (laughs) I do think you have to kind of have a certain distance from your own work. Mm -hmm. And you learn it more, I think, as you do it it more. It takes practice. It does take practice. I mean, that's that's the key... The main thing. I don't remember who who said this. <laughs> One of these things that someone put on Facebook and listened to it, and I, I feel like that's really true. A guy, I think on a podcast, was basically talking about how creativity, you have to do something for a very long period of time. And even realizing, we've been talking as if we always think of our work as being really good. Sometimes we look at our own work and like, this is terrible. Yes. We're aware of, of all the problems you know involved in it. And part of the reason he, he pointed out that you realize when you realize that you've got problems with it is that you are honing your own artistic tastes. Mm. Um, You know, audiences have great artistic tastes. Your perspective as an audience member is probably in some ways sharper than your perspective as a creator. Yes. Because you spend a lot more time ingesting stories than most people, I mean, will spend a lot more time ingesting stories and evaluating movies or TV shows or whatever than actually creating them. And seeing your own thing from the outside is very difficult. Yes. But... The more time you spend actually in the creation process, he, he said, basically, eventually your skill will become closer and closer to your own tastes. I to like actually that. That makes to sense. actually fulfilling your vision. Yeah, but I feel like I'm much less touchy about myself than I used to be. That's always fun. You know, when Natasha would start editing my stuff, she'd say this. I'm like, no, I'm not changing that. Um, <laughs> and sometimes I had some fast reason that made sense to me. And then later I'm like, no, I could have changed it. It wouldn't have made a big deal. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> well, and I think too, since you've been writing, you writing pretty prolifically yeah. for all this time, you start to get a, a better sense of not just taste, what's good and what's bad, but also your personal style. Yeah. And er, be, early on, you think you know what your style is, but you probably know your you, style a lot better now than you used yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. And and you realize that some things you thought were your style is, but not as it's not as iconic. You, think, you know, it's mm-hmm. it is a tool you know how to use better. And I don't know if this is true for everyone, but I feel like you probably have less comparison the more you hone. Not not because necessarily you might you're as good as you want to be or as bad as you want to be. <laughs> I want to be the worst. <laughs> but in the sense that you're you you spend enough time just saying making a product that you know is a some level good for you. 
Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Like, yeah. I'm not going to write Dostoevsky and I could compare myself all day trying to be like, oh, but you say, but what I try to do and what I can actually manage, this is a good version of it. Yeah. Something I found too over the years that, say, my fascination with Jim Henson, mm-hmm. who was an inspiration for me early on. In more recent years, I've come to realize that I am not the sort of person that Jim Henson is, even though as much as I admire his work and his ethic and some of the ways he did things, I don't have that work drive Mm -hmm. um, that he did. Um, I'm much more like a Carol Spinney. I think I I told you about this. I remember I said this on the podcast, but I was reading a book a little while ago that, that was about basically sort of Jim's work ethic, money ethic, kind of philosophy kind of stuff. And it mentioned that um, one time when he, when Carol Spinney was fairly new to Sesame Street, Carol Spinney is the the performer that's done Big Bird for almost fifty years. He's not wow. he's not the only one anymore. Um, he's he's not quite retired. I think he's going to try to make it till Sesame Street's fiftieth anniversary. But anyway, early on when uh, Carol Spinney was new with the Muppets, Jim said, "Oh, we really enjoy working the late night shift. You know, just working in really late until a job gets done." And it's like, "Are you that kind of guy?" And here's like. No, not really. I mean, refreshingly honest, like I, I like to go home and go to bed and get a decent night's sleep every night. And so that's one reason, essentially, why he was such a good fit for Sesame Street, because that was a much more regulated show. Mm-hmm. They kind of needed a stable puppet performer yeah. there so Jim could go off and do his crazy other stuff. I think this is what I was thinking when, you know, I said, sometimes we compare each other, like, is my story as good as your story? But sometimes we compare each other, like, do we approach writing the same? Do we approach creation? And, you know, am I as driven as you are? Am I as, I'm a failure because you've done these 10 things and I've only done one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like, output or whatever, or how social media savvy you are. But sometimes we're just wired differently. And I think part of being an artist of any sort, you know, just writing and video, but any sort of creative thing is figuring out what, what sort of artist are you? There was when I was in college, I had to do a you know an interview with a visiting speaker for a professional writing class, and he always said something I thought was really I've always remembered. It was the subject of the whole article. We talked about look when you're writing, you're writing for an audience of one, and he was talking about God, Mm. and that it doesn't matter all the other things that you're writing for him. Because I can have my bounce when I'm like, oh, I should do this, or why is that guy doing this, or you know. How far, you know, whatever, a comparison thing. But the real goal for, I think, artists say, what kind of artist has God called me to be and what sort of things has he called me to write? And to know that the gifts you have and the place you are is on purpose mm-hmm. and not just, I have to be that guy. You know, you, artists can say, my worth is in getting the big sale or having the book on the shelf at Barnes & Noble or whatever. But that worth is never going to last, even if you manage it. That's true. The worth has to be built in deeper than that, you know, in the mm. I'm telling something true, you know, whether I've always believed that a story needs to be the story you want to tell, whether or not anyone reads it. Mm-hmm. And that, that solves a lot of that sort of comparison audience problem. Not that you shouldn't, you know, my, my personality is built not try that hard <laughs> to get audience. And that's a whole different issue. But <laughs> well, and I mean, like we, we've been saying, you do have to balance your um, finding satisfaction in yourself mm-hmm. in what sort of artist you have been wired created to be but then also at the same time 
being honest with yourself on a like kind of uh, accountability sort of Where's level. You, where, where are you weak? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Are, am I honestly putting in my best in this, or is there more time I could be investing it, in the in improving how, certain things? Not to use what you think is your personality as an excuse not to do things. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's very true. You know, and I'm I'm talking a lot about investing lots of time in this. I'm I'm perfectly aware that in recent years, really the only thing I've been very productive is in is this podcast. <laughs> well, I should say, and you know, when I was working for the church, I was doing, yeah. I had creative stuff in that yeah. area too. Right now, for the last year and a half or so, it's really just been the podcast. Well, I mean, you're very well that my main weakness in, in the whole artistic thing is like, hey guys, let's get someone to read my stuff. You know, <laughs> as well like, oh, it's there, whatever, I want to... Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there's that, you have a talent, how are you going to use it well? I mean, that's the audience wanted as well. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what letter of Paul it is, but, you know, he says, you don't judge him. He'll have to answer his own master. And I think we can't judge each other based on what we think they should do, but we need to judge ourselves based on what we think God would like us to do. Mm. At least from a, for a Christian artist. I mean, if you're not a Christian artist, I don't know what you're going to think. Right, but. right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's a de- very delicate balancing act. But I think it's... I think that's a good way of, of looking at it. How how accountable are you for a Christian artist? Obviously, yeah. how accountable are you to God for your own gift? Mm-hmm. You know, think the servant who's been granted how many talents? Yeah, how are you investing those talents? How are yeah. you using that? And I think if you have that perspective too, it also helps with a lot of the the whole pride issue. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't just become about yourself; but it becomes about who gave you these gifts. And I do think it's very just as a practical measure. I think it's very helpful for creative people to surround themselves with two, three people who are honest critiquers. who will both say, hey, this is really good, in a way that you would say, oh, they're not saying that because they're my mom. Um, <laughs> and people who are saying, no, look, this, makes, this doesn't make a lick of sense. Mm-hmm. Because then you, it brings you down, it keeps you grounded, not just like, oh, this is horrible, but also, this is perfect. Uh-huh. Um, and I think, you know, finding those people that you, you know that their sense of judgment make sense or they they know what you're trying to do. I think that's a very very helpful thing for any sort of creative person to have. One other th- thing I've been thinking about lately and this is where I'm going to tie into kind of that other idea okay. a little bit. Yeah. So World Magazine's other podcast is a weekly thing called Listening in where they interview leaders in certain areas. And a few weeks ago I was listening to one by Andrew Peterson who's an author and a songwriter. And I guess he hosts or works with a thing that they have a creative gathering once a year or something like that. And the interviewer said what he found really interesting was it wasn't just songwriters or authors or media people on all our traditional kind of what we think of as creative types, but also people working with wood or leather, you know, mm-hmm. all these kind of like craftsmen sort of things. Like the Apple Festival. Yeah, exactly. And one thing Andrew Peterson said in regards to that is that he didn't think it was good that we had made creative into a noun mm. because ba- it's very easy for us to think of, oh, I am a creative person. And and there's a little bit of a snobbery to that, mm-hmm. um, that I have these great ideas. I have a huge imagination because sometimes we really do find our identity in this stuff, mm-hmm. maybe more than we should. Especially in a story-based culture that we live in now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you can do that with really any profession or or job that's above the <laughs> above the norm and the t- the attention economy you know i yeah. want i want audience to feed my 
feed my my meaning. Feed me, Seymour. <laughs> but it it struck me as also it, from a Christian mindset or culture sort of thing. It struck me even as sort of similar to what we do with ministers. Mm. You, sometimes people put elevate pastors or ministers above the rest of the congregation, like they're doing God's work, and we just and we just sit there and and listen it. and pay our tithes and you know do our it's, duties as opposed to the the nation of priests. Yeah, where really God has ordained all his followers to do his work wherever mm-hmm. they happen to be. And he pointed out, which I know Dorothy Sayers has made the point of this too, that really Christians or people in general, we're all made in the image of God and God is a creative person. And the first thing we know about God from the Bible is that he's creative. Yeah. Let there be light. And so we, and usually for people, that's just the very act of making, creating order out of chaos. That's what we do. That's what we do. I mean, whether we're making things with our hands or with our... Cooking supper. Cooking supper, fixing their house. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all creative in a way. So I think it's... I think it's interesting to kind of put ourselves in, persp- in that kind of perspective, too, in that, yes, you've been given a gift. Um, I think you reminded me the other day about God tasked certain people with... The building the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that obviously God does choose certain people like, hey, we're going to give you all these certain abilities so you can make this beautiful piece of art. Mm-hmm. But not... So not everyone makes a tabernacle. Right. But everyone's... Everyone can cook. Yeah. <laughs> everyone can cook. <laughs> Going to Ratatouille. Man, we should visit Gustav's place really sometime. Should. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. It, it's always good to put things in the right perspective. And I think it, that takes off some of that pressure of like sometimes when you're you're the writer, you're the video guy, you're the. It's suddenly like you feel like you have to perform in a in a unique way, different than other people, as opposed mm-hmm. to just. Not, I mean, it is different, but as opposed to being like it's like you're a separate species, and and <laughs> artists and yeah. artists, unfortunately like to think of myself as a separate species. Mm-hmm. They enjoy that sort of, I'm this creative genius. And I, I, think, I stand outside of humanity and watch and observe it. Yeah, all. and I think that's, that's unfortunate because obviously you have a certain type of gift, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily a better gift than a person who does something, what, what we would call more menial. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a different purpose. Yeah, it is a different purpose. And I think it's interesting because... A lot of creatives who work together will recognize that other. Here, I, I use creative as a noun again, but oh well. <laughs> um, a lot of artists, that's more accurate. A lot of artists who work together will realize that another person will see certain things that they wouldn't have thought of. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone who collaborates recognizes that's going on. I think, it, I think we could learn a lot from there's things that people who do work in more menial, your farmers, your factory workers, mm-hmm. They have a different pers- perspective of the whole world, and sometimes I think we can kind of afford it's, to learn and, from and that. Sometimes it's truer than what we know. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes um, not. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you know, with all the comparison and wrap it back around, there is. I just saw a quote I had seen before, but I saw it again. I think today on C.S. Lewis, you know, becoming humble is not about thinking about yourself less. It's just thinking less. No, no, I flipped that around. Not thinking less of yourself, like oh, I'm such a horrible, but thinking of yourself. Less often. <laughs> less often, yeah. Or or just, yeah. Think, basi- thinking less of yourself. Uh, thinking of yourself less. Less often, yeah. Because <laughs> basically it means you're, doesn't mean you're not thinking of things, you're just thinking of other things more often than you're yeah. thinking of yourself. Yeah. Hopefully that we makes sense. We might have to cut that whole thing out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I think if you write enough or create enough, you get a certain amount of humility just because you've made enough mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's what 
art kind of the learning process is. Yeah. You don't be like, aha, I'm out of high school. I will now write the great American novel. <laughs> we really, the culture honors those like our tours, like they're, they're 21 and they created this great thing and suddenly they're the genius and we're all just peons. And I think that's uh, unfortunate. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess wasn't Stan Lee like forty years old before he made before wrote Spider Man or um, like like he was know. he was well into I remember reading not too long ago he was he'd been doing in comic books for a while before he really hit his stride and I've read uh I don't I can't remember name I think Robert Frost is one of them that did a lot of their best work after they were fifty mm. but we just we 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 so idolize youth and like this super genius sort of yeah. mentality so when they go hand in hand and we we love it yeah. But, that's not as often. <laughs> and and not, that's, not, that's not the normal for most of life. But yeah. anyways, I can say having not, no longer being that age. <laughs> <laughs> You're still in your 30s. Well, yeah, no, but I mean. Oh, you mean the, in your, in your, odds, your the, young. The 18, 21, you know, early 20s, just like, it's a different perspective than 15 years later and you have kids or not, or, you know, life, life, you've given more time. It's like when you run a marathon, you start like, ah, I can do this. And then you're like, oh, wait, there's a lot more time and a lot more space and a lot mm-hmm. more, I don't know, forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the nice thing, too, I guess, with art is a comparison to, say, sciences. You know, we're not, we're not quite Edison having to work through 10,000 thing light bulbs to find the one that actually works. You still have to do a lot of creation, but you can make some interesting things in the process. Yeah, and even, even your, quote, unquote, bad stuff has good stuff in it. Yeah. And you can learn from it. Learn from it. Maybe someone else can appreciate it. I think we've talked about before. Basically, it seems like a lot of the greats basically just tell the same story over and over again until they get it right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we always talk about Miyazaki. It's like, there's like three stories in there. (laughs) It just keeps doing. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we could probably ramble about that forever. Yes. (laughs) We we will spare you our rambling for now (laughs) and move on to the soundtrack. I wanted to pick an artsy kind of video game, or at least a remix from a game that, uh, you know, people put some creativity to it. I'd already done Mario Paint not that long ago, so I decided to go with Minecraft. Minecraft. Which is a hugely popular game, and this is a remix called Squishy's Theme. Mm. Um, It is by the Aura Calcon, and it's um, it's very nice and mellow, so I hope you enjoy.
And we're back. Hello. Hope you enjoyed. Yes. It's a little different than the music I was hearing in the court here. Kind of a blast back to the 21st century. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of... In, it maybe, was maybe influenced some of these musicians here. Who knows? Ooh, that'd be interesting. <laughs> like uh Where's Beethoven's Tenth came up from? <laughs> One of those paradoxes. I, yep. I never really enjoyed those paradoxes, though, because it's like, well, Beethoven wasn't actually that smart. He just kind of saw someone else do it. Well, what was that the whole Doctor Who, that one time when he's like, where did Beethoven's Ninth come from? And then he's like, he just shrugs oh that's right okay that that was that was nice that was a fun episode yeah i forget about that one <laughs> but moving on we're going to go into our next segment we've had requested we has been requested believe it or not pun times i know i can hear some of you groaning right now but uh, my my little sister danielle request wanted us to do some more pun time yes. so we we will uh, be happy to do that because it's been a while it has been quite a while we'll <laughs> see how our minds are working today yes well you know we we've got all this beautiful music around us so we thought for pun times our theme we, we might go with classical music yes so and if it doesn't work we'll go somewhere else I don't know, <laughs> I, don't know. I think this is a this is a great note to bring pun times Bach <laughs> on <laughs> The Bach was that 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 was good. There's a certain Mozart to it. Speaking of which, do you know what a Mozart says when someone steals his breakfast? No. Allegro my ego. <laughs> Allegro my Yep. Okay. <laughs> you know what all musicians need? What's that? A staff. <laughs> you should say what that's what all old musicians need. Well, I was I thought like, you know, assistants like a staff. Oh, okay. So, I get you now. But that now might work better. Old musicians might have been better. Yeah, I guess so. So, uh, what's uh, what's a flower's favorite composer? I don't know. Beethoven. <laughs> <laughs> oh so boy, that was like Laffy Taffy no. level. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I I, I keep com- I'm very close to a couple, but I just can't quite get a handle on it. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty sharp. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't fall flat. <laughs> No, it was very natural. <laughs> <laughs> We're not having too much trouble with this. Oh man, well, I would I wouldn't want to be the one to drop the bass. So. <laughs> not sure that made sense. <laughs> Thankfully, we don't work for scale around here. <laughs> you know what position Darth Vader sings in the choir? No, alto, easy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why it's hard to figure out who's the composer of the Surprise Symphony? It's a surprise. Because he's Haydn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. All right. Wait, I got one more if I can... I was going to say, we we should be able to come up with ten or more. (laughs) So do you know why certain people... Well, my brother likes to talk loud, right? Uh Uh-huh. And when I tell him to be quiet, you know what he says? No. That's not my forte. Forte means being loud. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> First I was like, Forte, you had us music too, but oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's also, don't we say Forte for like what you're good at? Yeah. No. Yeah, okay. No, okay. it's true. That's you know, you're, you're using the words right. Okay. Just, I just make it, I was trying to make when, sure I use the words right. When you have to explain it, it's a, it's a little. It's not as funny. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. We need a really good singer to, to close this out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Let me just go to black like the Sopranos. 
<laughs> it wasn't really. Okay, it was it's sort not, of a music pun. It's but. Not, really, not really. All right. So, Tim, mm-hmm. have I ever uh, told you some of my favorite classical music? Uh, I don't think so. Well, I'll make you a list. Nice. <laughs> You can compose that whenever you wish. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. We should repeat ourselves, but so maybe we'll just, I don't know. <laughs> Coda. I don't know. <laughs> uh, go to the bar, make some notes. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that's the key to ending this. <laughs> All right. Maybe, well, we, maybe we should just uh, take it down a step or kick it into high octave. Kick it into high octave. All right. Well, Nick, we we we've tried for too long, but I'm not sure they. I'm not sure we pull it off. I think they're just gonna say it's just the symphonies. (laughs) Drunk punch. Okay. (laughs) And and done. All right. Well, I, I, I that was good. I enjoyed that. that we had some good ones. We'll we'll trim that down. And I think it, it should make for some pun times. Yeah, uh, fun times, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, we will stop uh, torturing you. We'll bow out for now. Uh, encore, encore. <laughs> um, maybe next time. Okay. But now it's time for it's came from the interwebs. There's two tricky things about it came from the interwebs. I've I've realized. Well, okay, a couple things. One, you have to find something that's interesting enough that fits for the podcast. Yeah. Two, I have to if I find it, then I have to sort of fight your natural instincts whenever you're online to share some. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you find something cool. You normally you just want to share it right yeah. away. And I have to I have to save it so I can show you on the while we're recording. Yeah. Because usually it's, I'm the one finding. Yeah, it. yeah. You didn't find these things. <laughs> but then the last thing then is like I have to. I, I sometimes worry that you're going to find it before right. I have a chance to, to do it. Uh, but Luckily, the internet is a big place. The, yes, the internet is a big place, especially, and that's especially a possibility because usually, even though I say I'm the one finding it, usually I'm finding it because someone else shared it yeah. because that's the way the internet works. Yes. It's a big sharing pool. No um, one actually finds it first. It's always existed. <laughs> it was just sharing it. Like, someone shared it to me somewhere. The internet's conscious. It'd be like, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> So you are familiar with, um, on uh, Amazon.com, some, yes. sometimes customers will leave goofy oh, reviews like the, and stuff. like the gummy bears. Like the, yeah, the Haribo gummy bears. Yeah. Apparently you people with huge digestive yes, problems. Yes, very humorous. <laughs> well, this is a new way, apparently, of, it's kind of similar idea, but different. Okay. Um, do you remember Nick Arcade? Nick Arcade? I don't. You think so? So you, this is like during the era of Nickelodeon game shows. Okay. So it's not just named after, you know, cool guys named Nick. Yeah, <laughs> which it could be, but. Yeah, it could be, but not not this time. Nick Arcade was one of their game shows. This one was the, uh, it was all video game themed. Uh, they answered trivia questions. You moved the little dude around. 
Um, oh, some, yeah, I never watched that. Sometimes they would have an actual arcade matchup. You know, this is way before Let's Plays or anything yeah. like that. And the winning kids would get to go into, they would say that you'd go into the video game and play levels. Okay. So they were, you know, on a green screen and yeah. like jumping, probably looking at monitors, jumping in there. I didn't understand how any of this worth it as a kid. I thought yeah. they were actually going into video game. I thought, that's amazing. <laughs> um so anyway, Nick Arcade is now available on Amazon as, you know, for streaming. Yeah. It's, you can buy sets of how many episodes and stuff, as well as a couple other Nickelodeon shows. But uh, I guess because this is part of Amazon's format for digital video, every episode had to have its have a episode title and a description. Okay. Now, these are game shows, mind you. Yeah. So that said, let's take a look at some of uh, season one of Nick Arcade. Uh, episode one is Brian and Amy versus Nicole and Richard. Okay. <laughs> a contestant named Nicole goes inside of a video game and has to jump over virtual rats in an attempt to win a set of encyclopedias. <laughs> Host Phil Moore makes no attempt to convince her that it isn't worth the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so did they, who put these on? I do not know. Like, this is awesome. Apparently, I don't know if this is a person who works. aren't even a thing anymore. <laughs> Which is kind of sad. I'm not sure if this is someone at Nickelodeon or if this is someone at Amazon, but because if you look at some of these other the internet saying, "Look at me," because <laughs> if you look at some of the other shows, like some like Double Dare stuff, yeah. they apparently like actually watch some of these shows and because they describe the teams and what sort of okay. things they had to go through. My guess is by the time they got to Nick Arcade, <laughs> they just decided, you know what the heck, I'm just gonna. <laughs> And so this is official episode descriptions. These, These are, are official awesome. product I descriptions. I want to see these like TV Guide. That, that have descriptions I'm like... like I want to watch that now. <laughs> I know, I right? Mean... So, okay. So here's for episode three. Fuong and Marcus versus Joshua and Barbara. Joshua and Barbara are on the yellow team today, and they plan on playing as dirty as it takes to win <laughs> that foosball table. Joshua knows it's wrong to bite people, but that hasn't stopped him before. <laughs> Those are awesome. <laughs> Episode two, Megan and Chris versus Tavis and Michelle. Contestants Tavis, Michelle, Megan, and Chris mumble their way through some radical small talk with Phil Moore before facing off in the video zone. Chris chokes on Alpha Mission 2, and Megan still hasn't forgiven him. <laughs> I feel like these are like riff tracks Those written are, into the episode product descriptions. What I want to do now is go and like film like a five minute version of what what I think that would look like. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? Like just like a little like flash video of like them winning the encyclopedia, or, know, right? Or like a mockumentary style. Yeah, I remember when he bit me. And... <laughs> Like he pulls up his sleeve and shows I mean, a bite it, mark. It's so great because I remember, I, I do remember this show, and I, it, I remember it being. I mean, I loving it at the time. Then yeah. going back later, I'm like, okay, this is kind of goofy, you know. <laughs> that kind of how nostalgia you go back. Oh yeah, and like, yeah. Hmm. Like this one, for example, episode four of season one. This does not necessarily speak to the content of this episode, but host Phil Moore wears a tremendous sweater in this episode. The pattern is mesmerizing, and the cut is ahead of its time. <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the most wonderful things. Uh, it's like watching a mockumentary version of a game show that didn't actually exist. <laughs> Except it did. Except it, it did. <laughs> uh, okay, so episode five. Which game wizard will these kids face in the video zone today? Murloc, Scorchia, Mongo, or perhaps the underappreciated Wizard of Soul responsible for this program's synthesizer soundtrack? <laughs> I feel like I want to do this with other TV shows. I know they should. Like, you know, we're, we're hijacked with Doom Battle on Five. What would be great? Like, episode five. Like, 
Garibaldi's shirt is so rayon. Okay, well, yeah. let's go. So that, those are some samples from season one. Okay. You can go and read a couple more. When we get to season two, the episode descriptions are basically just describing what the, the host is wearing. <laughs> so episode one, Phil Moore wears high-waisted jeans. <laughs> Tiffany has to survive a virtual food fights, digital pizzas, <laughs> binary pudding, and electronic tomatoes for her chance to win a VCR. <laughs> Host Phil Moore rocks jeans so fresh, he's probably still wearing the same pair right now. (laughs) (laughs) What mad genius came up with these things? Episode two, Phil Moore wears a Hawaiian shirt. (laughs) Chris, Jennifer, Jeremy, and Tasha throw down in the video zone today with bloodthirsty... Wait, forget them. Phil Moore is, is sporting a Hawaiian shirt in this episode. When Phil gets tropical, that's our cue to zip it and listen. <laughs> like some major Fillmore fan <laughs> or something out there. Episode three, Fillmore continues wearing the Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Fillmore has on the exact same Hawaiian shirt in this episode as he did in the previous one because he knows better than to mess with perfection. He's going to wear it forever. Episode four. Fillmore wears a gold shirt. <laughs> Phil, Phil, what happened? The Hawaiian shirt is gone. You've got on this shiny gold number that isn't even tucked in like you just rolled off your waterbed onto the Nick Arcade set. Was it something we did? Please bring back the Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> oh, it has man. nothing to do with the episode. The episode description has nothing to do with it. That is amazing. <laughs> that That's a real thing. Makes me so happy. <laughs> I know. Oh. That is awesome. So then I had to go through and see not all the Double Dare have stuff, stuff like this, but there's there's a few. And if you know Double Dare, you know that's that's the show where basically they yeah. just kids are going in muck and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. Did they do that Finders Keepers show? I don't know about Finders Keepers. Um, I've been watching that sometimes. And some of the, so some of the Double Dare seasons, they'll say just basic. Oh, so and so and so and so did this. Well, they go through this thing to get. Yeah. But then at some point, you know, they just started going crazy again. Because, um, <laughs> like, episode one for season one of Super Sloppy Double Dare says If thousands of years from now, this episode is the only record of 20th century humanity, its viewers will believe we spent much more time crammed between two enormous slices of fake bread than we actually did. <laughs> <laughs> oh man or episode four spilled milk this episode is so goopy so squishy so squirmy so oozy and so sloppy you're gonna need nine showers just to rinse off the first layer of slime yet somehow mark summers keeps his shoes as white as his pristine teeth <laughs> i, I want to know who did this <laughs> i know I and mean, this is this is talking about using your creativity in, in, in a uh, very unique way very unique and now like ways. everyone on the planet can look at it <laughs> Okay, I I love this one. This is for uh, season two, episode three. Squeeze them oranges right on my head. (laughs) The skipper dudes face off against the lightning bugs. I forgot they gave their team such ridiculous names. But when the object of the game is to let your friend throw an egg in your face for $40, does anyone really win? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Episode four, search through giant pancakes for flag. Andrew and Stacy are the atomic toasters, and they are ready to have any quantity of food hurled in their faces for exchange for a plastic watch and electronic keyboard. <laughs> oh, man. Or episode seven, the title is just, I'd trade all my friends for that Magnavox CD player. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so you you should really get get on Amazon oh, and go through some Look some of these. That. I need to just actually purchase some of these apps, these sets of Nick Arcade just just for that. Like Nick Arcade, I, and you'll Su- probably sell more copies just because of those. <laughs> yeah, th- those are the main ones. Like now, I want to I want to buy an episode just to see his Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, I must see this Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> Unfortunately, Legends of the Hidden Temple is not currently available on there. I mean, they actually have the list. It was available at some point. I'm guessing they must have started rerunning them again because oh. I know they did a Legends of the Hidden Temple movie, so they must have pulled them off of Amazon. Most of the these are a little more straightforward again. You can tell they actually watch these things because they say stuff like, will it be Hector the Trumpeter or Sabrina the Soccer Star surviving the Temple Run to score a remote-controlled car, a portable CD player, or a trip to the, to the Cayman Islands? It sounds like they you know, they start with one like that, and eventually they're just like, I don't even care. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, who cares about the CD player? Exactly. Even toward the very end of the season, you get things like, Kirk Fogg's got three minutes on the clock. Is it enough time for the daring red jaguars or the lethal green monkeys to complete the temple run and leave Orlando as ravaged and battle-scarred victors clutching a totally radical boombox? <laughs> like, like, you feel like that's the point where they first first Sorry, started, like, yeah. easing some ridiculous. I think they, like, like gave there. some intern, like, go for it. And he's just like, no one's even going to read this stuff. Let's just... Because, <laughs> like, people have fond memories of these game shows, yeah. but no one's really going to pay attention to episode descriptions for a game show. No. <laughs> So anyway, I, that was that is awesome. That's delightful. You should go. You should go check that out. The other thing I thought it'd be fun to talk about today, because I figured this would not be a huge uh, take up a lot of our time. So you, you know, we've been talking a lot about Babylon Five over on the Weekly Hijack. Yes, a lot. So I thought two it, seasons worth. I was looking at Wikipedia, and they actually have a link to you can look up on the um, Internet Wayback Machine or oh yeah, Internet Archive, whatever they call. You can find the actual websites for the show while it was on. Oh, um, and it's really nice, nice and old school, old school nineties kind of yeah, kind of nineties. Probably look. rotating gifts and stuff like that. Yeah, it's one of those throwbacks to seeing how it's. It's always interesting looking at those old pages. You spent so much time to get those things to spin and then <laughs> scroll text to scroll across. It's and, not, yeah, it's not all quite that bad <laughs> but uh but one of the things i did find interesting i thought i should show you and we'll have to show brianna who is our babylon 5 newbie yep there are still some videos that you can download some little like videos they made just for the site oh really um and i thought i'd show you a couple oh, interesting here the only thing i had that could play these these videos because yeah. they're they're so old and all the players most of the players have oh, updated yeah. since then i had to open up real player to oh do that. real player yeah that's back in the day yeah, it is back in the day and you notice this video is uh in each video none of them are over like a megabyte big oh yeah because no one had great internet speed so that means each video is about the size of a postage stamp <laughs> Like that's awesome. That's no exaggeration. So here, here's here's one of them. This is Captain John Sheridan. Greetings from Babylon Five. <laughs> so yeah, they're that's hilarious. They're, there's a whole. I mean, there's a whole bunch of these things. Let me see if I can just pull these in a playlist. So it's a little easier. I mean, that's actually pretty early for doing stuff like that. Probably. Yeah, I'm not sure the year for these exactly. The based on some of the clips, I want to say maybe season three. Okay, that's probably when it first started. Really. Yeah, I think three and four words where it's it's peaks for. Um, I could be wrong on that, but that'd be my guess. Stand by while we check out your system. Mm. I see you haven't backed up lately. What are you nuts? <laughs> so there's a lot of there's there's a fair bit of like early computer humor in, in some of these. Do not look any further. All life is transitory, a dream, 
We all come together in cyberspace at the end of time. If I do not see you, I'll see you again soon in the place where no shadows fall. Aw, that was very nice, nice though, Len. Oh, so this is one of the few... Um, I wasn't able to down. There were some of the bigger files I wasn't able to download. And I think they were actually clips from the show, kind of like, like this one. I never thought I would be saying this, Molari, but oh man, that scene. To the health of your emperor, and perhaps to your health as well. To the emperor, and thank you. <laughs> well, they're gonna pick a scene yeah that's what to do i mean that's i mean that that's like way before youtube you know people are because people love watch re-watching certain moments of, mm-hmm. of stuff and yeah you know, well yeah that's super early that's yeah that's way ahead of the game there you've just committed a fatal error there's nothing we can do for you dismissed <laughs> I, I'm guessing some of these. I don't know if there's any way that you could like have videos pop. I, I remember, you know, back in the day, you used to have sounds that you could trigger to the play when certain yeah. things happened. I don't know if that's what that sort of thing is for. Man, I feel like like you you put it on your phone when things happen. Be like yeah. ringtone or yeah. It's like oh, sorry. <laughs> hey, here's a secret. Going online is my first favorite thing in the universe. <laughs> The Minbari government does not recognize your calm system. Please try then. <laughs> I think all these errors. I know, all like, these error messages. I, I'm, I wonder if like set up like if you went to the wrong page or something. Oh, maybe. That'd be hilarious. I don't know, possibly. I'm not playing games. As of right now, I'm relieving you of your duties. Report to the photo section and start downloading immediately. <laughs> That's hilarious. It makes me kind of want to. It'd be fun to have a Babylon Five CD-ROM game from the from the day, and these things would trigger. There are rituals to follow when in company of online guests. Otherwise, the meeting is no longer sanctified. <laughs> As head of security, I'm exercising my right to examine all your files, and you've got some serious explaining to do. <laughs> uh oh, your body caught you. We are the universe trying to figure itself out. Unfortunately, we as software lack any coherent documentation. <laughs> I'm not sure what that one means. Captain, we have visitors from Extra Online in Bay 14. You better get over there. Only one thing is impossible for a Vorlon to understand. How to change the IRQ setting in any DOS computer. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, that's, that's old school computer humor. <laughs> Man, that's awesome, though. Welcome to Babylon 5 Online. You will enjoy the experience, providing you survive. <laughs> and that's all <laughs> that, we got. That's very Ivanova, too. It is very Ivanova. So anyway, I thought you would enjoy those. those are, what's fun of that is even back then, they were having lots of fun with the, with the internet. You with know. the medium. Yeah. And, and from what I understand, Babylon 5 was one of those early shows that had, like, X-Files that the internet, like, fan base was very interactive oh, with yeah. the writers. I, well, I think JMS, J. Michael Straczynski, was even unusual for these days. I don't think very many people get that sort of behind-the-scenes interaction while the show is being put out like he did back, way back then. Yeah, he re- answered, like, everything. From yeah. I mean, Now, granted, I, I don't know if maybe part of that is because 
when he first started doing that, the internet was in some ways a smaller place. Yeah. He was really just talking to the most hardcore. And now... And it was like a message board or something. It wasn't even... It was yeah. like Twitter or what we have now. Yeah. Which I suppose, I guess, the Twitter would be closer to the, to the modern equivalent of creators interacting with fans. Yeah, he couldn't have done it. He had to... He explained things in too many characters. Yeah, yeah. He went way more in, in oh, detail. Oh, there's so much... That's what... I'm so grateful someone collected so much of that for... The Lurker's Guide. For posterity. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So anyway, if that gave you a little taste of what some of the characters are like, it means you should be uh, checking out the Weekly Hijack. Yeah, it's great. Battle and Five, I'm going through. We're almost done with Season 1 at the time of this recording. As, as time of release, yes. Actually, by the time this gets released, maybe we may have just finished Season 1. Yeah. The release of Weekly Hijack is uh, way behind where we currently are. But it's been fun. And uh, just so you know, if you want to watch Fallon 5, go90.com, which we, <laughs> does not pay us, but you need to go watch it. So we, Basically, we want people to watch Babylon 5. You need to watch Babylon 5. So just so you can understand what we're talking about. And look, if, if season one just seems slow to you, listen to The Hijack. It makes a lot more fun. Yeah, it definitely adds to it. I mean, that might be, I mean, I guess if you really want to, you could just kind of wait until we finish each season and then go marathon it. But, you know, if you don't want to get too far behind, this is the perfect time to get caught up yep. with us. So you can watch it alongside us. Yes, sounds good. We should also plug in. We've been uh, much more active. We started up the Twitter. The Twitter. It's a thing, apparently. Yeah, Have you is. heard this Twitter thing? Uh, well, we've been Twittering a bit this month. We actually decided to, to launch our Twitter basically beginning of May. Yes. And um, we've been... Trying to keep it active. Trying to keep it active. I've been doing a little bit of... Uh, I've been going along with Tough Pigs, a, f- a Muppet fan site that has been doing a hashtag called Muppetational May. So if you follow us at derailed train, well at derailed underscore trains, yeah, unfortunately, that, that's the that's our Twitter handle. You can see me posts a little Muppet something every week, we'll put every music, day. We'll put music there. We'll link old podcasts that we bring, you know, just for fun. Um, follow us. Tell us what we'd like to see from our Twitter account. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's another way that for us to get more context info for you. And, and, there's, and there's stuff that comes up that doesn't fit in the podcast. We're like, oh, that's interesting. Boop. Yeah. Exactly. I hope you check it out. And of course, we're still at Facebook and the real trains of thought.blogspot.com. Yes. All the places. Uh, Nick, I think it's time for your soundtrack. All right. So, for my soundtrack, I figured we were talking about comparing each other and feeling lesser than other people. I figured kind of the quintessential idea that in video games it would be Luigi. Luigi. He's just not Mario. <laughs> um, Always second banana. I mean, he's better than Waluigi. So I picked a song from Luigi's Mansion called That Balcony Thing, remixed by Zelef. Zalf? <laughs> I have no idea. Zalef? Yeah. Zalef? Zalef? I don't know. However. One of those. <laughs> um, Apologies to whoever you are. Zalef. But I've never actually played Lu- Luigi's Mansion. Have you played this? I have played Luigi's Mansion. I don't remember I finished it, but I, I played like, quite a bit. I like to, I like to try it. That's fun. But anyways, it's a kind of a technically fun. I, I, every time I hear it, I, I'm like, oh, I really like this song. So I thought I'd play it for you all. Um, and I'm not sure it would go over well with the people here. No, no, it's a weird. They don't. I don't think they'd be. They'd be super into electronic kind of stuff. Not, not yet. No, they're not ready for that yet. No, we'll get. We'll get. We'll electronifies their music later. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Okay. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening to Derailed Trains of Thoughts. Uh, We hope you can join us next time. Until then, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye-bye. Adios.